All right, welcome back to Creative Outcomes. Today we have a very special guest, a repeat guest, in fact, uh, Marcel Pedapa. Marcel is co-founder and CEO of Parakeeto. He's also the host of the Agency Profit Podcast. You've certainly heard his voice or seen his face. He is a fairly prolific speaker in and around the agency uh, landscape, and we are very excited to have him with us. Marcel, welcome. Ryan, thanks for having me, man. It's great to be here. For sure. All right. Well, why don't we get the like uh, easy, uh, you know, get to know you is out of the way. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit more about Parakeeto and the work that you all do there? Yeah. Um, in, in short, we help digital and creative agencies measure and improve their profitability um, in, in three steps. Essentially, we come in and audit their agency and show them where they're losing money in the business and what KPIs they need to optimize. We then help them design and install a system to measure those KPIs and have that visibility uh, on an ongoing basis. And then the third step is they can actually hire us to become their data operations team. So we take care of the reporting and they don't have to worry about it anymore. And as part of that, we can also help them understand and extract information from that data and make better business decisions ultimately. Awesome. Um, yeah, I like it. There's a lot there that I think we're going to get into that I'm, I'm, I'm excited about. I think you, you and I, we no doubt uh, address some of the, or, or we face uh, and have helped solve some of the same problems. And I, I love the direction that you come to it from with sort of a non-financial operational bent. But before I go all the way there, I, um, you know, some of our faithful listeners, uh, numerous as they may be, uh, would recognize you from uh, a conversation we had almost three years ago. And I, at the time, that was, uh, you, you were here on behalf of Parakeeto, but the vision was a little bit different. At the time, the focus uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the focus was really predominantly on a software solution that was going to solve the problems that you just kind of outlined. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I, I, uh, I my partner, I, I may even said it last three years ago, but I'll say it again. I always rip him off. Uh, he, he always loves to say this, this thing, which is like, everybody thinks they have the software problem, but they don't, they have a process problem. And so I have this like small feeling that I know the reason why you're vision has has evolved the way that it has and and the the way that you're approaching this has a, a much heavier service element to it but i would love to hear it you know from you like what am, am i right am i thinking about this right like what was the what what made this happen yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head, uh, Ryan. We did start as a software company and we built a platform that we tried to sell to agencies that allowed them to bring in their data from all their various sources, time tracking and project management, and and then report on these critical KPIs that drive margin like average bubble rates and utilization and capacity forecasting. And to your point, what we realized was that a whole bunch of things. First of all, that data was a complete mess most of the time, and they didn't even know how to begin to structure that in a way that was actually going to be conducive to good reporting. And then a lot of our clients also saw reporting on these metrics as an event and not a process. And so the muscle of doing quality assurance and data normalization and adapting those data structures to changes that were happening in the business was completely lost on them. So essentially, to your point, we were giving them the tools, but they didn't have the knowledge or the process really internally to be successful. And they started asking us for help with these things. And so we started helping them. And then we started asking them for money in exchange for that help. And next thing you know, we were a technology leveraged service company. And it was about December of last year where we said, we're not even going to sell software anymore. We're only going to sell a service and we'll start using the software internally to deliver that service almost like you know you'd hire a, a bookkeeping firm they're going to come with a quickbooks or a zero on the back end but they're going to actually deliver the outcome that was really the approach that we took and that was a game changer for us and for our clients and we'd be much better off for it 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so I have a couple of follow-ups. I mean, you know, the, the first is, again, I think you said more or less what I, I, I assumed uh, that you might say. I think, you know, we, we live and breathe that problem uh, plenty, right? Which is like, we'll have clients who have, um, you know, they've adopted, a, you know, a tool, right? Whether it's Parallax or whatever it is, right? Some really great software. And I think the, 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 the assumption going in is like, oh, this is the silver bullet. Like I'm going to implement this thing and it's going to, it's going to produce all of this really uh, insightful data. Uh, but again, what, what they find and you found and everybody finds is that, uh, you know, the, the outcome is only as good as the uh, inputs. And if the inputs are not uh, structured in the way that is necessary and they're not produced, you know, they're not gathered in a timely fashion, then you're not going to get any outputs out of it. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Now, I, I, I want to go uh, more into how this works, but let me stop and say, like you threw out a couple things that I think are both really important, but also may not be tangible and understood to every agency. It's the idea around the quality of my data and the things I need to do to it, right? You, you threw out a couple of terms, normalization and quality assurance. And I guess for agencies who have never even considered like, uh, you know, collecting this information, how, like talk more about like, you know, concretely, like, what does that look like? What are you doing? What are they not doing? What do they need you to do for them in that sphere? Yeah. So I'll give you a simple example. One of the things that we heard all the time when we were selling the software is somebody would connect their harvest account, for example, and they would pull in their harvest data. And then they would do an analysis like, I want to see on average how much project management time it takes us to build a website and how that correlates to the amount that we charge. And then they would realize like, oh shit, um, project management tasks were named a slightly different thing on every single project forever. So now I have to clean all that up. I have to normalize all the, the 65 different permutations of project management, because on one project, it was called PM. On another project, it was called P.M. On another one, it was called project management. On another one, it was called project manager. On another one, it was called product uh, managerial services. Like, And so we have to normalize all of that in order to answer that question. So it's really just the idea that we have a concept or we have a question that we want to answer with the data, but it's there isn't alignment horizontally. And so we see this with all kinds of things, service line permutations, uh, client names being slightly different, even the hierarchy of how we would structure a project. So if we think about it in terms of like, we have a client, that client has a project, that project has milestones, that milestone has phases, like all of that structure matters. And we want to look for some of those specific, really important things that we want to look at patterns in horizontally and create structural consistency across those things and then compounding that is like well we used to structure projects in this way but then six months ago we switched and then six months later we switched to a different time tracking tool and made like another slight change and now if we want to look back across those three different time periods we have to normalize three different structures and bring them into one so there's a lot of work potentially that goes into cleaning up that data, but then also maintaining the structure of that data as we change tools or we restructure the team or we add new services or we decide we're going to change from calling it, you know, client services to client success. All of those changes need to be managed in order for the data to remain useful. Uh, so that's like at a high level, the, the consideration there. Yeah, I, um, boy, I live the, we call a client a different name in Google Sheets than we do in Harvest, than we do in QuickBooks, than we do in, like, oh my, I mean, I, we all do, but like, even as our own firm, like, if I had a dollar for every time I was like, hey, everybody, can we just call it all the same thing? Like, we need some process to do this. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I has, I, 
I suspected that's what you were going to say. And I think, uh, I think that's something that's like very relatable for, for everybody. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, it requires good habit formation, good discipline, and a really strong process and, and somebody to own, whether you're owning it internally, or you've got somebody like Parakito helping that, uh, it's, it's, it's a job. It is. And I think one of the misconceptions here is that the objective is to kind of get to perfection in all the inputs. And what I know to be true is that that's never going to be the case. It doesn't matter how militant you are about trying to enforce naming conventions and like the, you're never going to have perfect inputs. And the bigger the team gets, the harder it is to govern those. And the more of those kind of systems that you put in place and the more rigid that system is, typically the less compliance you start to get on these things because the friction of getting a project set up or tracking a time entry goes up exponentially with every additional requirement that you place on your what we call structured data versus unstructured data. And so I think that this is like a big mindset shift is I hear so often people saying like, I just want to, you know, integrate and automate the reporting side of this. The assumption there is that the data coming in will be perfect. We know that that's never the case and it will never be the case. And so the mindset shift here is you don't want to take your data and throw it straight into a report or straight into a dashboard. You want to bring it into an environment where you can review all of it, make transformations, normalize them, maybe bring together metadata from different systems, and then visualize it once you know that it's clean. And the idea of trying to get to real-time reporting around this is kind of a fallacy, mostly because human beings create this data in the same way that trying to completely automate bookkeeping like is just kind of an insane notion, right? This is no different. In fact, I would say that this data is even harder to maintain because it's literally created by a human. It's not being created by these transactions that are somewhat mechanical. It's actually way harder to create automation on time tracking and project data because of the nature of how that data is created at scale. Yeah, I... Um... I, I, we share that opinion, which is, um, I, I always laugh when I think about the idea of like, and, 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 you know, we'll fast forward 50 or hundred years. I'm sure we'll have, we'll have automated solutions to some of this normalization, but yeah, the idea that like, yes, it makes a lot of sense that you could take, you could take time tracking information, or you could take other non-financial inputs and you could reproduce with, with, you know, with, with automation capacity plans and project profitabilities. And similarly, you could take bookkeeping transaction data and you could automatically produce financial statements. But of course it relies on this like gigantic if that is like that information is reliable. And we completely forget the idea that like, no, 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 it's been manipulated by this human and that human doing all sorts of like irrational things. And that's just really hard to automate. Like you, you it's it, humans are, are, are very hard to automate. There's another element there that I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about, which was like, even if we can, I don't know, using generative AI and like, we can start to outsource judgment to a machine that automates this. And we do get to a place where all the inputs are perfect or they're automatically corrected. Even in that world, so many of these metrics can't be real time because as you know, we have a completeness problem of the data and then we have the alignment of the input. So for example, if I wanted to know the average billable rate of my business in real time. That would mean that everybody has to be tracking their time in real time with nobody like missing that. And then we would need to also have a way to align the accrual of revenue in line with that, which just is not going to happen. Right. So we need to set just like bookkeeping reconciliation times when it's like, okay, Friday, end of day timesheets are due on Monday. We verify that all the data is in, then we can process it. We then can, you know, accrue our revenue up to a certain point. And now we have the complete set of data required to actually get an accurate read on this. If we try to do it in real time, 
we would have more timely insights, but it would never be accurate because we would never have a complete set of data that was perfectly aligned. So those considerations are also often not thought about. Well, let me, yeah, I t totally agreed. Let me, um, I'm going to, uh, we, we've gotten our, we've gotten fairly in the, we've gotten in the details about some things related to time tracking and, and how these things would work. I'll bring us back up to 30,000 feet just for a second. Cause I think your, your, I think your approach to the work that you do is very interesting, right? Like I, I think you have a very unique selling proposition as it relates to how you help agencies. And I think your, your way in is all around. I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it and you can tell me what I've gotten right and what I've gotten wrong, but it's all around non-financial data, right? I think the, the thesis is, Hey, look, there's a lot of, as it relates to evaluating the, the success and performance of an agency, the focus historically is primarily on financial data. That's all we ever want to look at. And we, we pay, you know, precious little attention or maybe a disproportionately small amount of attention on non-financial data. And in many ways that's more important in actually diagnosing. So I, I'd love to know, um, I'd love to know your sort of like philosophy. I'll actually throw out my philosophy. You can tell me if this like resonates or doesn't resonate. I mean, as I, as I think about these two things, I don't know that I, I don't think about them as discreetly separate concepts, financial versus non-financial data. I, I view them as sort of yins and yangs. I think the financial data is good and helpful, but it's often a lagging indicator, right? It's often downstream. It's the ultimate result. Where did we end up? Whereas non-financial data is upstream, right? It's a little bit more of a leading indicator. It can help me diagnose why I ended up the way I did from a financial standpoint. Is that how you guys think about non-financial? Like, how does your operating philosophy compare, not compare to that? Yeah, it, it's similar. And, and to your point, like historically, financials have dominated the conversation in terms of measuring the business. And what I will say about financials is, to your point, they look back and they are precise, they have to be precise because you go to jail if they're not precise. <laughs> and they're they're kind of they're kind of table stakes, right, in terms of agency reporting because they will give you the most accurate picture of what happened in the business, but they're not usually accurate in the sense that like the way that your revenue is accrued is probably not a realistic reflection of the business model. Oftentimes the way that your chart of accounts is structured or the way that you have to group things together for, you know, general accounting uh, or tax reasons is not giving you like a, as much of a strategic insight. And to your point, because it's looking back, it tends to lag and it tends to be at a high level because as you know, the cost of trying to get more um, specific about clients, projects, milestones, types of work is just exponential. It's just this really painful curve of additional time and money that goes into making an accounting system measure those things. So to your point, the non-financial data is there to give you a much more, I'm going to say accurate as opposed to precise, because it's less precise, but it's generally more accurate um, way of getting more timely and more specific insights into why your financial statements look the way they do, right? Okay, we looked at our financial statements, we're not profitable. The important question is why? And the non-financial metric can give you a lot of precision into, is it a utilization problem? Is it an average billable rate problem? And specifically, where does that problem exist in the business to the degree that your data is structured to give you those additional levels of insight? Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and, and the, the one of the things that you just said is, is uh, I, I can hear myself saying uh, almost verbatim, which is like, okay, you have a gross margin problem, which is great, it's easy to diagnose, but like, if you have a gross margin problem, do you have a utilization problem? Do you have a billable rate problem? It's one of those two things. And then ultimately, one, uh, well, let me ask you this question, which is how far do you, uh, do, does your service go in terms of like, okay, 
let's say in the in the classical sense of like financial versus non-financial financial would diagnose that you have a you know you have an operating profit problem and it's because you have a gross margin problem okay so traditional finance would stop there and then non-financial evaluation would help you diagnose what is the source of your gross margin problem is it that you have a utilization problem do you have a billable rate problem um and then i guess from there do you is is your is your service predominantly like let's help understand where where that is coming from or is there an element of here's how to fix it like where where do you where do you stop i guess it's both um and so in the audit process it it's going to come down to just how much data we have available for the client but generally we can diagnose very accurately that it's a utilization or an average billable rate problem and show you exactly what the numbers are behind that so like you have a utilization problem and every 1% of utilization under your target is costing you $60,000 of profit over the next 12 months and has cost you this much money over the last 24. So that's the level we get to in the audit. I just want to say really fast, I love that you do that. That's so great, right? Like, cause I think, I mean, even as I think about utilization, like it's so opaque, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, we should, we could be better utilized. You break it down to a very specific amount of money that we left on the table that now starts to, that starts to resonate. And this is the thing that shocks people so much is, you know, you talk about utilization and you're seeing these kind of small incremental numbers like, oh, yeah, our target was, you know, 56 percent and we were at 51. Like, so what? It's it's 5 percent. Right. And, and similarly with average billable rate, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, our target was 150. We ended up at like 136, like whatever. And then you show them the the combination. It's like you literally would have tripled your profitability if you had closed that gap. Like that one percent is worth like basically the college tuition for your kids, uh, you know, next year. like. All to the bottom line. A hundred percent of that goes to the bottom line. So yeah, and and there are these compounding impacts because your overhead relatively goes down the more efficient. So like there's all these things. So that's what we do in the audit, and then the question becomes: Okay, you have a utilization problem, or you have an average billable rate problem. Well, now we want to know well specifically what you know service lines in the business, or what individuals or what teams are under versus overutilized, and we want to be able to predict that as well. So then we go into liftoff and say, how do we design a system to measure the specific areas of your business that you need to be able to measure and forecast? And then the ongoing engagement is we measure and look back and extract information from that, and we forecast going forward so that we not only identify exactly where the issue is, but we are now proactively staying on top of those things on an ongoing basis and making sure that not only do we improve profitability, but we never get into this situation again where we're not making money and we don't know why. And we sit down and review that those numbers with our clients on a regular cadence and provide some perspective on how to interpret it, what kind of questions to ask, how to make those decisions. Uh, and we're providing recommendations along the way, right from the audit all the way through. We're there to not only provide the information, but also be there as like a, a sounding board and an external perspective to guide decision making. I, I love that. L let me ask. Um, so I imagine this is a this is an experience that I have plenty. I I imagine this is an experience you have more than I do, which is um, okay. Yeah, you got a client who very much uh, recognizes they have a gross margin problem, and they very much are interested in the diagnosis of their gross margin problem. They are not an active time tracking organization, and there are all sorts of reasons why they are not. And so I, I'm I'm curious. Um, what sorts of things have you found effective, uh, if any, to get an organization that has been reticent to embrace time tracking to just like see the light? And, and it, it, this is maybe a two-part question. One is like, it's probably a little bit easier to get their ownership around the, the corner, but they're, they're reticent on behalf of their employees. So like, 
how do you get them around the corner and get compliance? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think to me, the reason that time tracking has been rejected by most employees is because uh, either it's been used poorly in the past and because it's very easy to weaponize time tracking data and use it in the wrong way. And we've seen lots of people do that. Or they just haven't been involved in the application of that data. And so, and they don't understand why they're doing it. And so they come up with their own story and that story is usually not a good one. So to me, the most effective thing is to actually involve your team in the process of using that time tracking data to make their lives better. So when you run a report looking at the average billable rate across all your different clients and you sit down with them and go, hey, like high fives all around. We crushed this project. What can we learn from that? And this one didn't go the way we planned. What can we learn from that? Then they start to go, oh, this is why we track time. Or you start going, hey, you know, based on our historical data, this new project's coming in and it looks like we're going to be under-resourced in design and we need to bring in some freelancers. Like, And you involve them in that conversation and they start to see the application of that data and realize like, oh, they're just using this to try and make sure that like our, our projects go well, we resource plan. There's nothing to me more powerful than that, but the challenge I see is that it requires you as an agency owner to have enough confidence to start putting that data in front of them and knowing how to talk about it. And that's usually why it's not happening. Yeah, I totally, I mean, yeah, there, there's situations where, Hey, you were 110% utilized on the last project. I bet you're feeling pretty busy right now. Like we, we want to track this information so we can get you help. Like we, that's not a desire of ours for you to work 50 hours a week or whatever. But I, 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 uh, I, I. I love your response to that because I, I wholeheartedly agree, which is like, I think people just don't understand why this would be beneficial for them. And, and much the opposite, assume this is to their detriment for any number of reasons, because it has historically been to their detriment or because humans are just very good at creating stories that are negative, like whatever the reason is. Um, like, it's just about like enrolling the team in, and understanding why we're doing this and having and and using it to their benefit and demonstrating that I think that goes a really long way. Yeah, I agree. And two other things I'll say on this is showing them and holding them accountable to utilization numbers uh, is just a bad idea. So if you're doing that, stop immediately and don't. <laughs> it's it's not actually making you more profitable either. It's actually probably making you less profitable. And uh, lastly, understand that timesheets are not the only way to track time. We've helped a couple of clients shift their business model to one where they could leverage uh, centralized time tracking or resource plan-based time tracking and actually still get all of the data that they need to run this analysis without asking their team to fill in timesheets at all. So understand that like there's a lot of misconceptions around time tracking, but there, you don't have to necessarily like impose timesheets on your team to get that information. Okay, so last, last question, but say maybe uh, however many, a uh, hundred more words on the alternative to a time tracking uh, uh, scenario. Yeah. So like Media Monks is a company that likes to brag about how they don't track time. It's actually not true. The way that they track time is they have a project manager that man manages a pod of people. Those people are never assigned to more than, let's call it four clients at a time. So the project manager is able to track time on behalf of their pod through daily standups and check-ins. And they use the resource plan. Because if you export a resource plan to a CSV, it's time tracking data. So they're just capturing material differences. The reason they can do that is because they've shifted their business model to one where they're essentially doing team leasing and they've decreased the complexity at the end user level 
And that allows the one person in the agency that could maybe get excited about time tracking data, which is the PM, to do it. And and it relieved the the design team or the the external team from having to do it. So that that's kind of one idea of how to shift that responsibility. Yeah, I, I love that. Okay, I feel like I could just keep going, but I will not do that for your sake and everybody else's. Um, but I, I can tell you that uh, I, I, you know, I have personal empathy for this problem and I, I, I work directly with clients who could very, very much benefit from your audit all the way through your solution. So for the, everybody who's listening who agrees with me, what's the best way for them to find you, learn more, engage with you, all the things? Yeah, well, if you'd like to apply to work with us, you can head to parakeeto.com and there's lots more information there about what we do and who we serve. If you just want to consume more of our content, we have a toolkit, the Agency Profitability Toolkit, which has some training videos and templates and some spreadsheets that'll help you maybe start to explore some of these numbers and some of this data for yourself. Um, We also have the Agency Profit Podcast. So if you're listening to podcasts, you might want to check that out as well. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm wearing a shirt with birds on it. And I'm pretty easy to spot. So I'm always happy to field questions and, and chat there about uh, about these types of nerdy things. Awesome. All right, Marcel, it has been a pleasure.